Hello again. <laughs> My name is Rand Eberhard, and it's a, a high honor and blessing to be with here with you this morning. I uh, have the opportunity to serve in congregational care, and um, it's my blessing to serve right within God's calling on my life. And a way to understand calling is where the world's greatest need and your deepest passion align. And so, um, based on the things that God has mercifully brought me through in life, he's given me a place to recognize that um, I haven't done anything other than understand his grace, uh, seek his heart by reading his word, um, allowing him to recondition the issues of my heart, the selfishness, the ambition, the, 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 the insensitivity that is the, the base nature of the flesh, and recognizing that there is a broken world around me, and how am I allowing the presence of God to be invitational, to be present on my life, to be um, a gift, a handout, a, a contribution, a blessing that invites people to better understand the faithfulness of God and how he works. So congregational care not only is a, a ministry of, of responsiveness and showing up in, in times of need for people, but it's especially a ministry of restoration and reconciliation. And I'm a product of exactly that. Um, both as, a, as an event and as an ongoing process in life that, that God continually brings me back to his mercy, his grace, his love, and affects my heart for hope. So it's a true gift to be serving um, in a place that is, in fact, a calling, and my calling, and God's purpose for me here. So my question to you to start is, what does your faith require of you? What does your faith require of you? And in the modern contemporary church, our world continues to lack the word and is comfortable with anonymity, where you can walk into a building and nothing's required of you socially. Um, Nothing's required of you uh, financially. Nothing's required of you by way of how you, in fact, are the evidence of a living God. So what does your faith require of you? Is it, is it a checkbox? Is it a, it's an event you point to? Is it something that um, invites you deeper into the heart and the love of Jesus Christ that says you are worth much more than you might think? So let's read the word in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. The Pew Bible, it's on page 1180. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He is an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For if we brought nothing into the world and we can not take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is though through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. And thank you that it helps us see your purpose in the world. It helps us come to an end of ourselves, and it helps us most importantly see Christ among us, Christ that walked the earth and walked faithfully, without sin. Let us consider that and let us consider what you require of us, what you invite us to, what you mercifully lay before us as the opportunity to bring glory and honor and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, what does your faith require of you? Does your, the more you know about God, does it, does it stir in your heart Um, the desire to carry out his purpose. So central to the issue of uh, a discontent spirit is a culture of immediate gratification that we live in. We can't keep up with demand. Texting, for example, um, is is a resource and a tool to be used and to be used um, uh, effectively, but texting can also be an invasion into your life, your home, your personal time. And sometimes the, the, the nature of texting enters into your world in a moment of intimacy with God or with family or with self or with someone, and you feel this restlessness and this, this uneasiness about needing to quickly respond based on who it is or based on what it's about. So there's this discontent at the center of our flesh that, that texting seems to ring uh, an alarm that it, I've got to get all these things done, a, a list of tasks and, and details and work and uh, uh, things that are, are expected of you in your day-to-day life. And texting can be something that enters into that and disrupts the flow of contentment and a settled spirit. So in our, in our mainstream society, we have um, a hunger, an insatiable hunger for more things, materialism, uh, social and vocational prowess, intellectual um, prowess, money and and the need and the want to struggle with more and more obsessing uh, for things that assumingly will make us more content, but they never do. And I'm here to tell you this week that the battle for me was not only a challenge this week of really taking a look at uh, a discontent spirit and just thinking about... um, Anybody else have like 200 um, Netflix cues ready to go and they're just kind of sitting there? (laughs) 
well, I got that. And it's, uh, and it just kind of sits there and waits on me. And I never, I never watch any of that stuff hardly. And, and the same thing is true with, with materialism and getting the next thing on your want list, assuming that as soon as I have that, I'll be okay for a little while. And what's at the root of, um, acquiring more? What's at the root of, uh, getting the next thing? And a lot of times it's to further our image or, or to settle our need to be needed or to settle um, our, our, our selfishness in life, our desire to acquire versus contribute. So this week was especially hard as we roll into Christmas and, and eBay and Facebook Marketplace and uh, Amazon and, and all these things that are just right there on your phone seem to be the only things I ever go to anymore. And it's all, it's all about just acquiring senselessness. You know, it's all about what kind of deal can I get on Facebook marketplace to get the next thing? And it never brings resolve and resolution. In fact, it kicks up anxiety such that um, anxiety is at an all-time high because of these things and much, much more in our society. In the Western world, we have a lot of things and we're a wealthy people but we're some of the most discontent there are in all of humanity. Barnes & Noble has reported a 25% jump in sales on books about anxiety since 2017. We fear, I've said before, and I've realized that we fear the loss of quality of life more than anything. We want safety for ourselves and our families. We want um, to be comfortable. We want to be uh, okay. So we fear the loss of quality of life more than anything. Therefore, those that are uh, directly connected to our vocation, the social networks we care about, um, our image, we put way too much energy into making sure that those line up the way they should. So when we lay our lives before the Lord, we consider verses like Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do we hunger and thirst? Do we feast on the word of God? Does it equip our hearts to look beyond ourselves that we might be contributors instead of takers? So a discontent spirit is one that shows up in needs, and not just needs materialism and selfish gain, but needs to be needed such that we tend, we tend, and some people more than others, tend, myself included, tend to be a burden on the environments in which God places us. So how do we come to an end of ourselves, and how do we um, enter into a Christmas season where we, in fact, are somebody that people are excited to see coming, primarily because they see the fruit of the Spirit on our lives? But if we are content... We're a gift and an example to those around us. So think about contentment at the level of the heart. Am I a contributor or a taker? What's under my Christmas tree doesn't matter as much as what I, I'm entrusted to be a giver of hope, a giver of life, a giver of encouragement. And people are drawn to that. Quick story, uh, uh, a billionaire named Chuck Finney born in New Jersey, founded the duty-free system, and made $8.3 billion over the course of a 30-year career. 
$7.8 billion he gave away of his wealth recently. And it's uh, assumed that by 2020, most of all of his fortune will have been contributed to the betterment of others all over the world. Universities in Ireland where he lives, hospitals and cancer research and um, helping children with cleft palates and many other things, hundreds of millions of dollars contributed. And he said, I'm most happy when I give and when I'm helping someone. I'm not as happy when I'm not. And this created a chain reaction of many other wealthy um, philanthropists that took note of, of a guy who gave away almost the most money in history. Not quite, but he gave away a significant amount. So the question from that is, do we live on the 90% and give the 10? And here we are in the midst of a, of a giving season and um, uh, making a pledge into the coming year. And it's not a pledge to, to build a bigger and nicer building. God's blessed us with that. It's a pledge to sow into the kingdom what is already God's and what belongs to God. And it's not just about contributing to the church. It's about giving um, of your time, your talents, and your treasures for the kingdom of God that God might be honored and glorified. So I have many stories uh, of people that have come to me over the course of time, um, in almost two decades that I've been walking with the Lord. And there's a difference between understanding God and believing in God and making a conscious decision to surrender day by day. And when we surrender, we realize that we're not God and that he has a bigger plan for us than we could uh, draw up in our own right. And when people come to me and they're, they're ultimately looking for hope and they're looking for an easier way of life, and what they're looking for is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that. But in order to offer that, we have to embody the work of God in our own lives. So this time last year, a, a young guy, one of my former students here in the neighborhood, uh, came to me and he had a, an illegal prescription bottle in his pocket. And he wanted so badly to continue about that way and just kind of offset the, the, the burdens of life and, and, and push him out of the way. So I said, give me the medicine. He wouldn't give it to me. Okay. This guy had, um, very, uh, had a couple of seizures as a result of these meds that he was taking illegally and he almost died, but it still wasn't enough for him to surrender and come to terms with this high-risk nature uh, uh, lifestyle. Um, as he was willing to get himself in, in, a, in a place that kind of allowed him the time needed to align his mind and his heart, uh, the Lord began a work in his life. And here we are a year later, and this, this homegrown Son of God is walking with the Lord and is one year sober, um, free of substance abuse and chemical dependency. So thank, thank God for that. But that's just, a, that's just one story of somebody that is willing to lay their heart before God and allow them. And it's not about me at all. It's about a person who's willing to create that space to intentionally lay their heart down. So in the text... Timothy was serving in the church in Ephesus, a mega city where Paul felt it ne necessary to invest most of his effort. Paul spent nearly three years there getting the church up and running, far more time than he spent anywhere else. Paul sends Timothy on special projects 
to settle issues in the church. And in the church in Ephesus, and, and as we read in this letter, uh, there, were, there, there were teachers that were hearing from demons and they were hearing for, from self um, a false gospel attempting to teach the church as if it were, in fact, the right one. And we can relate to that. We can relate to falling off of uh, the, the word of God that brings fire and, and refines the spirit and refines the will. We can relate to that in today's world, that we want something that, that gives us a partial checkbox Christianity, but we don't want anything that requires something of us. And Timothy labored in that mission. And not only did he understand the intent of God clearly and the correct gospel, the, the, the accuracy of the right and the only living God, Jesus Christ, he was assigned later to pastor the largest church, the church in Ephesus. The mission statement in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 3 of 1 Timothy is, Stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Then we're given in chapter 2 a model for leaders. Nero, especially who was persecuting Christians. Live peaceful and quiet lives. Pleasing in the sight of God who deserves all people to be saved. And in that section, he talks about praying for the leaders during ancient times. Praying for Nero specifically, who was a persecutor of the believers. Of praying for those that God has entrusted in places of influence. So should we depart from the faith and false teachers who uh, listen to demons? Paul said these people knew nothing. They knew nothing because if you, if you take the gospel and you, and you make it fit your worldview and you make it fit your, your lifestyle and your narrative, then you've got to come back to what the word really says. And this was the challenge in this text. So in verse 3 of chapter 6, 1 Timothy, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and the doctrine does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. A godly teaching points to practical actions resulting in righteous living, exposing believers to timeless truth and sound doctrine. And we call that, I call that the ancient path of stepping on a pathway to peace that is reliable and true and accurate throughout generations, throughout thousands of years, that we can come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand that there's nothing we need to add or spice up in order to make it fit our culture um, in a more fitting way. But the evidence of the gospel that is at work and alive is the gospel that should be evident on our lives, your life. And that is the gift that keeps on giving. That is the, the gift of a settled spirit. Verses 4 through 5, this teacher is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and many other things. An obsession with controversy disrupts the purpose of God. It disrupts uh, the plan of God in our lives. And the evidence of controversy and obsession in the wrong things in our lives especially shows up in conflict. And how do we come to terms with conflict and the need to be correct? We give up our right to be right. You lay down your agenda and you say, you know what? I'm not going to try to have the final word here. I'm going to come back to 
the way of God and let people experience grace and truth. See, we like to come with truth alone, but Jesus came full of grace and truth. And a lot of times when I talk with people that are in constant conflict, I bring them back to that simple reminder and that simple application, a truth grace pendulum. What is required in this moment? And allowing the Holy Spirit to give you direction uh, amidst quarrel and controversy and obsession with things that create division. What's needed here? A gentle rebuke, a word of truth, or grace and encouragement, a listening ear, listening with your whole heart, which I spoke on last time. So Matthew 23, 23, Jesus warns the Pharisees have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. How do we remember those? Grace and truth, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Envy, as mentioned here, is at least a dissension and strife, which leads to competition or bitter conflict and deteriorates, deteriorates relationships. Envy. Jealousy, I want what you have. Envy says, I want what you have, but I don't want you to have it. So there's, there's a deeper level of selfishness there. It says, I want what you have, but I want you to have it. I want it to be me and mine. So a, cor- a corrupt mind is void of truth and so led astray. For the believer, the natural emphasis should be on what flows out of our lives versus what flows in. Verse 6, 6 central to this message is contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It was great gain in the ancient world. It was great gain 2,000 years later for us. And it's great gain for you around your Christmas holiday season, whether you have a lot of family or none at all. You're invited to embody the living God. And as you understand what he's done, what he's doing in the now, and what he's inviting you into, that leads to contentment. That leads to intentionality to carry out the purposes of God. Contentment doesn't mean complacency. It rather means inner sufficiency. Philippians, well, uh, Philippians speaks of in 4, 11 through 13 and Proverbs 30, 18 and 19, uh, complaining is empirical proof that we are, in fact, discontent. But if we have contentment, you have inner sufficiency in spite of external circumstances. You have that which is truly life. So godliness with contentment results from an inner sanctification with the situation that God has ordained for us. We don't become godly by chance. We must work day and night in doing so. It provides the benefit for both this life and the one to come. Paul makes a distinction here. Godliness is a lifestyle that consistently pursues and reflects the character of God. It's a way of life. So how, how might we be that much more godly? Might we fill our time with things that bring life instead of things that require something of us but offer nothing back? Again, materialism. Again, uh, selfish ambition, conceit, jealousy, uh, are, are we in this life to acquire more and to position ourselves as more important than the other? Or do we shift our lives down in such a way that we're available and accessible to everyday people? 
that God allows to intersect with us. God creates these intersections. Will we put down the phone and in fact interface with those that he puts before us? Godliness comes by way of believing in the message of Christ. The sound teachings of God's word promotes godliness and we're called to obedience to train in righteousness. So we have brought nothing into the world. We all know the verse in verse seven and eight. And we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food, food and clothing with these things, we will be content. Everything else in uh, life is a bonus. And it's to be recognized that we turn our hearts to God with, with gratitude and thanksgiving. And we consider how we might sow into his kingdom by way of action, by way of attitude, by way of financial contribution. But your, your content spirit um, amidst your family this Christmas, a settled spirit, needing nothing more, um, is the greatest gift you can give. And only Jesus Christ can do that in your life as you turn your heart to him, whether you're eternally secure and, and Christ is your Lord or you're on a, on a search and a mission to understand him more. What does your faith require of you? And if it requires something of you, God is faithful and he'll do his part to evidence himself and your attitudes and actions. So in closing, he makes a final charge. Flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Flee from the things that take life and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and gentleness. When you pursue these things, they become second nature. When they become second nature, they become invitational. And when your invitational people are drawn to Christ in you and they want to know what you have to say, so have something to say and be prepared to give an answer as said in the word, but do so with gentleness and respect. Righteousness emphasizes obedience while godliness emphasizes the God-centered motives for our obedience. I'll say that again. Righteousness emphasizes obedience while godliness emphasizes the God-centered motives for our obedience. So this Christmas, in closing, verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life, the experiential knowledge of God through Christ, and the growing knowledge of God, and help others do the same. Paul describes furthering the gospel as a fight. And it is a fight because we have the tendency to serve ourselves. And for the gospel to play out and ring true in our hearts, it needs to be attractional. It needs to be invitational. And it needs to be transformative to our attitudes, our thought life. And it will then affect our agenda, our will, as we set our will before the Father. But if our will is set on personal intention and the need to be needed, or the need for additional gain, or, or, or to better uh, create space and safety for our right to ourselves and our right to our rights, um, we're going we're gonna to miss out on the simplicity of, of life as God intended. We're going to miss out on the love that should shape our hearts and transform the world around us. So will you consider what the living God requires of you? And have you put 
not only your faith and your understanding in God, but have you put your life before him as an offering? And that's my challenge for myself today and to you, that as we're content, God brings resolution and he gets the glory. And as we're content, we recognize that we're not self-made and there's nothing we can do outside of laying our lives before him to experience that contentment. You do your part, God's gonna do his part, but he's not gonna do your part for you. So receive the greatest gift in history and give it to others, the Lord Jesus Christ today. May God bless you.